This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. And hey, everybody, I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Well, today we are so excited. We have a guest that's been with us before, Elizabeth Swan. You probably remember it hasn't been that long that Elizabeth was with us. But today we want to talk about her newest book. And uh, many people have had Elizabeth on their podcast, and we're excited to have her on ours. But her new book is called Picture Yourself a Leader. And uh, Elizabeth also comes from a family of artists. She did all the artwork in the book. I love the title of the book. But before we jump right into it, for those that maybe uh, don't know or aren't familiar, Elizabeth, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. I'd be happy to. I've been in the process improvement business now for over 30 years. I've been a consultant, a coach, an instructor, designer, um, and uh, yeah, and and it's been largely transactional work that I have done, a uh, little bit of manufacturing, a little bit of uh, biotech, but right now working an awful lot in healthcare uh, and have been, like I said, working in the trenches and coaching folks or helping clients design uh, transformation. So kind of across the board. Well, Elizabeth, uh, you know, we're, we're very excited to have you on today. Uh, I'm excited to, to read your book. Um, and, and, and like, like it says, I, I guess, uh, on your website that there's been a lot of books written about leadership, but the, yours is a little unique in that you use a lot of illustrations to get your point across. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, Where did you get the idea for that? And what are you hoping to do differently with your book than, than others have done? Great question. So the title, you know, Picture Yourself a Leader, has a lot invested in that idea that, on the one hand, take stock in the fact that people are watching you, that you're having influence whether you know it or not. So picture yourself as a leader. The other aspect of it is the word picture. And I do have a background in like a, a graphic design and I do have a family just full of, actually my stepfather wrote and illustrated two cookbooks and um, yeah, I've got painters galore. Every, every sibling is an artist. And although I never considered myself a serious artist, I do like to draw and I think what drove me to illustrate the book was I couldn't find graphics that are ready-made like even in sophisticated packages now like Canva where you can you know draw on lots of different artists a lot of times I find that the emotion has been removed from stock characters faces and the reality is although we don't necessarily always talk about it there's a lot of emotions that go on in the workplace. And I wanted to show on people's faces in to sort of capture each of the points I'm making in the book. I wanted to capture the frustration, the uh, delight, the fear, you know, sort of all that happens uh, when we work together. And initially, these chapters were blogs. So I illustrated each of them trying to capture right, what, what's the story here? What am I telling? So it forced me to really think of how would you bring that into a picture? Because 
We translate images 600 times faster than text. So I know that that's an immediate, your brain just respond. It was probably had to do with being able to recognize like saber toothed tigers, <laughs> you know, back in the day, but I, that makes a huge difference. So uh, like, like me or like other people, I'm drawn to the, to the image. Yeah, I think that, that was a great description. I like what you said at the beginning about, you know, the title and picturing yourself as a leader. I think a lot of people don't realize that they're leaders um, and they get maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome. Um, you know, had a, a new employee ask me recently if they should do this uh, uh, leadership um, class that we offer at Baptist um, because they didn't have any direct reports, so they weren't really a leader. And I had to tell her, yes, yes, you are a leader. You, you should definitely do it. So um, I appreciate you, know, you bringing that into the, the title of the book. Yeah, good for you, because that's another thing. We, we associate it with a title. And like you said, people assume I've got to have some direct reports and I'm broadening it out to beyond your work, right? You have influence in your family, you have influence in your social circles, but absolutely at work, um, you are impacting people around you regardless uh, of your title. That's a great point that you've made, Dr. Lancaster and, and Elizabeth, because you know one of the things that uh, as part of the Baptist management system is TWI job relations. And uh, and one of the premises of the, that teaching is that uh, leaders, by definition, very simple definition, here we go, leaders have followers. Woo, that's a tough <laughs> definition, right? But you think about something for a second. That's really true, right? I've known a lot of individuals that are bosses in my career, 31 years, but they don't have followers. They have people ready to maybe take an order, mm -hmm. but having a follower, and I'm thinking about the picture that you would draw with that, having a follower is something different. I mean, I have people that I would follow through a brick wall. I don't report to them. They hold no power over me, Yeah. but they're a leader. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this just brings up another point. You said, what's different about my book and other leadership books? And one of the difference, big differences is that these are all tiny chapters, like they're five minutes. It's a five minute point, usually with a story from my own life. These are all things that I learned, you know, by accident, by mistake, the hard way or from somebody else's mistakes. You know, they're all stories. But I also because they came from blogs, I put the question out to our community. And I said, this happened, you know, how have you dealt with that? So I got opinions, techniques, books, quotes, examples of other stories from people in our process improvement, continuous improvement world. And I curated those. So I grabbed three of the best, most helpful to me, points that people made in this, you know, usually these developed into huge discussions online. And then I reflected on that, like, what did I learn from them? So just in the, you know, kind of the reality of picture yourself a leader and people or people being there's one you gave as a, the example, Dr. Lancaster, of like the person, you know, asking, should I take this? I don't have followers. The, the flip side of that is someone who has been given, you know, direct reports mm -hmm. and told, OK, hey, you're the supervisor now. And they 
are great at being a nurse, an engineer, you know, what do you want to name it? But they haven't been versed in what does that mean? How does that change things? How should I behave? So um, I remembered when I was in my mid-20s, I was working at a Apple startup in California. This is one of the stories in the books. And, you know, I rose up the ranks. I was, you know, first I was uh, answering phones and letters or emails for tech support. And then they made me um, uh, head of writing the manuals. That's back when we actually wrote uh, and, and printed tech support manuals, user manuals. And then they said, okay, now you're in charge of production and you're going to be in charge of the beta testers and the programmers. And you're going to work with marketing and, you know, get our software to market. And um, suddenly I was in charge of a lot of people including the guy that hired me. And mm. I knew a lot. And one of the guys that spoke up was um, Hugh Alley. And you may be familiar with him. And he's well-versed in TWI. And he said um, the success factors they found were really simple, right? Instruct. You have to be able to instruct. You have to be able to deal with um, performance, uh, not meeting expectations, right? People working for you, not meeting um be able to improve the methods, be able to set priorities and be able to listen. Well, I was great at all of that, you know, at a young age, except dealing with performance, not meeting expectations. I didn't know what to do about that. Right. And, you know, I learned later in life, but um, it was a very lonely time. Right. When I was initially thrown into that position and I, I was hoping other people didn't have to deal with it. No, I mean, that's probably a, a very common occurrence. Um everywhere, but also in healthcare. I mean, we, we see a lot of physicians, maybe an expert surgeon that is really great. And then all of a sudden is, is because of that greatness gets made, you know, head of his department or, or uh, her department or something like that. And they may not really even want to, to manage people and in, instruct. They want to focus on their surgery, um, but, but they're put in that position. So, and it sounds like you had a similar situation back when you were rising up through Apple. Um, but I like those four points that, that you mentioned. Can you can you expand on those just a little bit? Do you instruct, listen, give negative feedback or, or give feedback? And then what was the last one? Listen. Right. I got, yeah. So, so <laughs> the listen, instruct, um, it, feedback. Set priorities, right? Set so priorities, now you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now you're in charge. So you may be great. I mean, like and you said it's what you're what you're good at, right? So you are a great surgeon or you're a great engineer or you're great at nursing. Um, and suddenly you've got to be um you've got to step back and start listening to other people, right? And so that's not all of us are great at that. We're kind of um we we're kind of set up to fail in a way we can it's just again neuroscience we can hear we can process words people speak at about 150 words a minute but we can process at like 600 words a minute so there's a big gap and a colleague of mine said the opposite of talking isn't listening it's waiting to talk right so we're already programmed you know you're listening you're going yeah 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 and you're just coming up with what you're going to say so that's a thing that we all talk about in our world, like, you know, be a good listener, be a good listener. But it's like, know what you're up against, right? You've got your own 
brain working against you. So listening like and and you've got to really um, uh, be focused on the people working for you so you can hear what they need. Right. Um, and they might need instruction. And again, that might not be your favorite thing to do. But um, and I think TWI is great there. You know, how do you break that job down? How do you create very clear instructions, including what the why of each step? Right. So there's really it's great when there's a process there for you. Right. If you've you agreed to be this leader. Right. And, you know, these are the things you've got to do um, if there's processes there for you. Improvement methods. You guys are a incredible shining example of bringing um, process improvement into your culture. So obviously you've got structure there to help leaders with what does that mean? Uh, setting priorities. This is something you guys probably see a lot. I deal with this a lot with leadership where they'll say, okay, let's get our top 10 priorities. And I'm like, 10? Too many. <laughs> you, let's stop right there because that's not going to happen, right? That's That means nothing's a priority. So really having to make those hard choices. Here's we're going to do these this, which means we don't do like all those things. Or, you know, I can do this. And that means I don't do those four things. So those are those are hard. Um but the dealing with performance and, uh, uh, and not meeting expectations, really getting clear about how to what you're measuring, people knowing what they're being measured on, uh, getting good at sitting with people and, you know, going over where they think they are. Right. Sort of all of those processes around having those difficult conversations. Right. That those are things we're not naturally good at. Uh, so really getting clarity and help around those things. But it, it was really helpful to have uh, someone sort of point out, these are the things you need to know, me going, oh, right. That's why it became such a sad job, right? If you don't get help. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of leaders will kind of retreat to their comfort zone. So if they're not comfortable with giving feedback on, on performance, they will you know, maybe lean more into helping with instruction or something like that. But how do, how do you advise leaders on dealing with being uncomfortable as they grow in their new role? So part of that is practice like anything else. The other thing is that we don't often take stock of feedback being many things. And I don't think people realize how much of an impact positive feedback has and they'll they might think well i you know i i told them last month they were doing a good job <laughs> you know like the reality of it it should be daily it should be really often and i had another colleague call it calling it catch someone doing something good so that you're when you have something that requires a little more constructive criticism they actually can hear it because we live with a negativity bias, right? We assume the worst. If we don't hear from a leader about what they want, we invent what they want. And it's usually based on, I, I'm probably not doing things right. And the other positive side of that is when people can hear, hey, you're doing that right, you know, and, they, and the trick is to be specific, right? What are you doing? What are people doing right? So leaders get in the habit of calling out specifically what's right because there's, again, your body's, you're going to react with endorphins, right? So that's a 
always a positive reinforcement that people hear that they're doing something right. And then they get the lesson of, oh, I should do that again. So that's why you need to be specific, not just good job. But what is it about this, what this person is doing that's good? Um, and that uh, that will reinforce those behaviors, that particular aspect. But the, in the absence of that, uh, we don't people can I, I've, I hear this a lot. People are guessing. They're guessing what the leaders meant when they said something or what they might want or what they might not want. Like they, people just put energy into that. And I'm thinking, wow, if the person could just spend a little more time really sending the messaging out. And when it's in clarity comes from different methods, right? Might be the huddle meeting, yeah. might be group emails, but to really have that different, different ways of communication and more times than you think. Does that resonate at all? Yeah, it does. You know, you know, waiting and get, holding your positive feedback for that monthly one-on-one meeting versus, like you said, it really should be daily. You're you're telling people if they do a good job, so that if you do, hopefully, you know, you never have to. But if you do have to give them some negative feedback, they would. It, I guess it, it's a little bit, you know, TWI job relations. You know, you develop that relationship over time so that they trust you and you have a more um, you have less of a transactional relationship and uh, more of a, um, yeah, a more meaningful relationship. And you're able to give that feedback to them. Yeah, that, that was another, I think, story from the book was that what you just said is that you have to know and care about that person. And that means, you know, find out something about them. Right. Ask, get to know that person so that, like you said, they feel known and acknowledged and, you know, that will build the trust. Uh, I remember working at a consulting firm very young and a consultant, it was early morning and he just walked to my desk, you know, first thing and said, okay, so about that presentation, you know, slide 34, (laughs) I sat back and I said, hey, Carl, how you doing? How's the weekend? (laughs) And he smiled and he really took it in and we became, you know, better, better friends, knew each other better. But he got he got it really quickly. But it's like that, you know, it's little things. It doesn't have to be a big I mean, some people say, well, not everyone likes chit chat. And I'm like, well, doesn't have to be a lot of it. And you can probably gauge the, the person, but you can ask simple questions. Right. Makes a difference. One of the reasons I love this book is for I have a lot of reasons. My daughter's an artist and a very, very talented artist. And but I really do believe that people uh, we live in stories and pictures. Right. You know, you think of the White House. You may have never been to D.C., but everyone knows what you're talking about. Or if you say David and Goliath, uh, you have an idea. Big guy, little guy has a rock that end well for the big guy. So, you know, we have we live in these pictures and stories at all times. And so I really love this idea of picture yourself as a leader, especially if you believe in continuous improvement, because I know for me personally, I've reflected many times where my leadership qualities didn't wasn't a pretty picture. You know, maybe I didn't uh, speak to someone or let's just use something simple like Michael Bungay Stainer talks about with the advice monster where we have this advice monster inside of us. Ed Shine talked about that, where we naturally want to jump in and tell you everything we know. But the beautiful thing about that is we can also see a picture 
you know, and I mean, is that a connection for you, Elizabeth? Oh, man. Uh, so, so much so. One of the things about stories, and this is research done by Yuri Hansen, that when someone is telling another person a story, they did, um, I believe it's magnetic, um, what is it, imaging, and they could see that, you know, I'm telling you a story and I'm, you know, either expressing fear or excitement as I tell the story, the same parts of the brain that light up for the teller light up for the listener. And he calls that neural coupling. And what it means is that a person is living our experience, right? It's becoming a shared memory when I tell a story that it's firsthand and I'm telling you about what happened to me. And so stories are so human in nature, right? It, it really binds us. And that's why I told the stories that I did because I realized I used them to teach. A lot of these stories I used to teach. And it's funny, I told one uh, about rework, right? And this was, I went to a play with my husband. We were going to Harvard Square. Harvard Square, if you can imagine, is kind of like typical Byzantine streets that used to be cow paths. And I know we were going to the ART theater and um, we had our tickets in hand and we found a parking spot. And we were just in the nick of time. It was a, a son of a good friend was in the performance. I didn't want to miss the you know first act. And we got to the ticket counter and the gal at the ticket counter saw us, saw the, took one look at my ticket in the play and immediately pulled from a stack a, a map of Harvard Square with a yellow highlighter through it, showing us how to get to the actual theater which this play was in. So we grabbed our maps and we now are tearing through the square like, uh, you know, hair flying. And we get to the theater and we get in there and we see a whole bunch of other people holding <laughs> this same piece of paper with the yellow highlighter on it with the map. And uh, as the as we uh, form and we have someone greeting us saying the lights will go down in about two more minutes and we're going to bring you all in to the front row. Uh, we have seats saved for people who clearly went to the wrong theater and, um, you know, well, she lit our way. We got front row seats. We missed, you know, uh, I don't know, five minutes of the play. And there we were, you know, it was a great experience. But I thought they were ready for us on both ends. They had this rework down. They knew that the fact that the emails had ART in big letters and I think it was called One Arrow Theater because it was on One Arrow Street. But if you didn't catch that in the small print, you went to the wrong theater. But um, I wrote that and I... Um, do you know if you know Sammy Obara, um, who's done a lot of work with the Toyota production system, head of Hancha, and he said he wrote me and he said, I I could picture you. I was right there with you as you're racing to that theater. And so I feel like that to me was like, yeah, that's what stories and that's my intent. You know, the story will bring you right there. I don't know if you have that when you are trying to teach or instruct, if you found that stories make the huge difference. Yeah, I, I certainly have learned over the years that stories seem to shift opinions more than facts and data. I think you mentioned that also 
on the back cover of your book, it's it's stories seem to to get at your heart a little bit more. And it's hard to hard to change behavior through the head. You kind of have to do it through the heart sometimes. Yeah, facts and data often fail to move hearts and minds. And there was a great example. I don't know if you know about this, where somebody was trying to reduce the amount of gloves on hand for a hospital. Have you read about this one? No. It was like, oh, they had just, you know, X number of styles and colors. And one person trying to do improvement was like, if we could just narrow this down, I think we'd save a lot on supply costs. And he spoke to leadership. and They're like, well, you know, doctors might need really different specific gloves. And he finally just put got one pair of every single glove that could be ordered was in the supply list for this hospital hospital system and piled them on a table and then invited uh, a leadership group to come in there and said, this is what we have on hand. This is what people are able to order. And they were like, well, these are almost all the same. And they're like, right. <laughs> yeah. They all have different SKUs and we are keeping these on hand and we're ordering, you know, and, and in three years they expire, right? Um, the latex doesn't last. So the once they saw that, right? So um, back to your description of pictures, right? What the image and there's a story and then there's this image, right? Of this pile of, and he just went on a road show and just kept showing people this pile and they got it down to two two types of gloves. That was all they needed. Everyone agreed, two types, wow. millions, millions. It went from, yeah, this crates and crates and crates of gloves to like uh, really saving um uh, for the whole hospital system. So just that image made such an impact. Yeah, I mean, it's been said a thousand times, but you know, a picture says a thousand words. And I guess that was another reason for including illustrations in your book. You seem, you can say so much more. Um, I think you were mentioning being able to show, show the characters emotions on their face. Um, talk to us a little bit more about that because that almost never comes across through a, you know, just a description in words. Yeah, and I think we're also trained in the workplace, you know, be it hospital, manufacturing, or, um, you know, insurance companies, to not talk about that, to not talk about people being frustrated and pissed and all those feelings. And, but the not talking about them will not remove them. They are there. So it felt like, the imagery and I, you know, that there's a lot of humor in them, too, is a way to approach a topic like I had one that was. Uh, assume good intent and seek to understand. Right. I mean, and Edgar Schein, just a huge proponent of inquiry. Right. But just this idea of, you know, you're you're mad. Something happened. And I and the illustration I drew and it was me. You know, was, the story was about me being just ready to, you know, uh, yell at somebody or write write an email I was going to regret. And instead, I remembered. Right. I have a colleague that taught me years ago, you know, assume good intent, seek to understand. Mm -hmm. And we can't know a person's motive. So I, the photo of me is or the illustration I drew you know, there's smoke coming out of my ears. There's a imagery of a bomb and a snake. <laughs> it's just like all this. But that one struck such a chord. I remember people kept sharing it, you know, it got like, you know, some of the some of the topics I talked about, like I said, it went from blog to book. 
And some of these went, you know, shared 10 or 12 times and, you know, had just thousands and thousands of hits and comments. And anyway, that one I just saw this morning. And this is like it's been a long time, but someone found it and shared it again because that image just really spoke to people that, yeah, people piss you off. That's the reality. And what do you do? So, you know, just by telling that story and saying, well, here's what you do. Right. You and, and I, another thing that helped me with that was realizing you assume, you know, you make all these assumptions and you write like, why did you do this? Why? You know, like this is wrong. You made the you know, and the person comes back and says, you know, oh, oh, I didn't see the email <laughs> or, oh, yeah. you know, I thought that um, the the word was this, not that. It was like, oh, and then you're in a position of like, sorry, <laughs> so sorry for writing that. That was terrible. Um, but yeah, yeah, that image. I think we've all probably had that feeling of uh, wishing we, you know, slept on sending an email until the next day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you know, I think we try to hide our emotions a lot at work. But I think that's good that you're bringing them forth uh, through the illustrations. I think that's helpful. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you think ahead. about it. Also, just I know we're coming to a close, but just you think about a lot of the authors that we all lean into. Uh, we watch their videos, whether that be Simon Sinek or Brene Brown or or, or Stephen Jobs, you know, the late Stephen Jobs or whoever it may be. I, I remember uh, having weekly conversations with Ed Shine and and he would tell a story. And uh, sometimes I thought, OK, what's the point of the story? But it, when I've reflected back on it, he had a point to it. And there would be and I could see the imagery. I remember him one time telling me a story about how he was picking mushrooms and this lady had walked by and told him, you know, that that's not a uh, you don't want to eat that mushroom. And he, she yelled at him, he said, don't eat that mushroom. And he went on to tell that that was not a poisonous a mushroom. But you could see this whole scene playing out. Right. And I guess all that to say that I think, you know, these leaders that we have so much admiration for, uh, they tell stories and they draw pictures and they draw pictures in our minds that we get to hang on to for years and decades. And so, you know, on that note, Elizabeth, thank you so much for writing this book. Uh, thank you so much for putting yourself into it. Uh, you as an artist, uh, you as an author, you as a continuous improvement person, uh, putting your whole self into it and sharing that side with us. So thank you so much. And I get I love every time I get on screen with you because I get to see that beautiful artwork behind you. Uh, I'm guessing it's like cherry blossoms is what I'm guessing. It's Japanese cherry blossoms when I got back from Japan and I needed something to hide, you know, whatever's going on in this office that people don't need to be distracted by. But this is so like centering and it reminds me of Japan. Oh, I love it. I love nice. it. Well, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, Elizabeth, thank you so much. We're so grateful for you and we really appreciate you. Thanks for having me back on, guys. It's been a pleasure.